0: Well, I'm going to try this again, see how this goes. Go ahead and turn in your Bible, I guess, to start with Exodus 25. And uh, we're going to look at a number of different scriptures this morning, but trust that. Before we we read any, let me just uh, introduce this with this, I guess, caveat here. Um, Last Sunday evening uh, in the service, the, uh, the message, the lesson was, of course, continuing in the following Moses. It dealt with Moses and, of course, the Israelites erecting the tabernacle in the wilderness and so on. And um, uh, I would have to admit that uh, the tabernacle itself uh, has been an interest of mine for a long time. But um, I hadn't really given it a whole lot of attention of any recent years, but uh, always an interest there. Anyway, and then um, uh, at the close of the service, Pastor Brinker asked a question um, about the golden candlestick in the tabernacle. And uh, what it represented, pictured, and there was some other things mentioned, and so on. Um, and at the time, uh, I kind of wanted to. Anyway, I, I didn't say anything because I couldn't put my finger on several scriptures that I was trying to. You know, I, and I, I guess I could blame it on a few things, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> anyway so after that I went home and I I started looking up some things and try anyway so I've been kind of thinking about that all week and uh, anyway so the result of that is this morning we're going to look at this subject a little bit here Um, uh, let me just say this though that anything I tell you what there is when when you talk about the tabernacle and all that's involved in it there are there's a lot there that could be looked at in fact uh, i mean i got a few of them i got a couple of them anyway in in my briefcase back there but there's books have been written on that i mean you know it's 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 a it's a can be a very involved subject okay but it's a it's a it's a wonderful thing and obviously it's something that the lord uh, wants us to 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 know some about anyway and so we're going we're gonna to have a word of prayer, then we'll, we're going to read several scriptures to kind of set the background, and then again, we're going to start broad and then then get a little more specific in talking about just the candlestick, okay? But anyway, so uh, let's go ahead and pray. Thank you, Lord, again for the opportunity this morning. Thank you for your word, and um, of course that you've, you've given it to us, and through your word we can we can know about you, we can know about how... Uh, We can have a relationship with you and and obviously all the different things that you tell us about yourself, about ourselves and um, Lord how we can come to you and Lord we we thank you for that. And also this morning as we look at this particular subject I just pray that you would would help us and um, Lord help us uh, obviously to be thankful uh, to you for what you have provided for us. Um, in salvation, in the Lord Jesus. And Lord, again, just please work in each of our hearts and help us to be more appreciative of you and what you've done for us as a result of looking at this this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray, amen. wanted to start with reading several, a couple passages that deal with this. Of course, um, the general text of last Sunday evening's Look at the tabernacle be, was in Exodus 25. We're not going to read the entire chapter or anything, but I want to read specifically the part. Of course, remember here that it, uh, in uh, the the time after the, Israel was delivered from Egypt, okay, by the Lord, in the first couple years, there were a lot of things. They didn't they didn't really go real far, right? They were kind of mostly around in what would be considered mount sinai um, and for a couple years they kind of stayed there and basically the lord was was giving them things information moses on a couple of occasions went up spent 40 days at a time on mount sinai with the lord and god uh, gave him of course not only the ten commandments god gave moses a lot of stuff uh, as far as scripture and, and information there uh, on Mount Sinai. One of those was God revealed to Moses all the details about the tabernacle, all right? and what it was, what was involved, what was going to be there, and so on. In fact, as you read some things here, you'll see that God reminds Moses when we read about it described in Exodus 25 You'll see phrases such as "as it was shown you in the mount," things like that. So God had had personally given Moses a lot of details and things like this. Probably, maybe more specific details that God gave him that what are actually recorded here. I can't say that for sure, but um, but the point is that they knew exactly. Moses knew exactly what God wanted to be done with the constructing of this. All right. So when you think, generally speaking, of This tabernacle and and as we read about this I want you to think about this where were they they were just out in the middle of nowhere they were in the desert you know and just just the pulling off if I can word it that way of the gathering what was needed and then the the constructing and erecting of this tabernacle there in the wilderness was quite a feat I mean and in fact uh, and and sometimes I mean you have to be careful in uh looking at these things these kind of numbers and comparisons and so on but um you know with everything that they used to to build this all right uh, there were metals stones different cloths fabrics and various things that had to be gathered put together and then all the time that was involved in putting these together and god if you remember specifically chose two men Bezalel and uh, what was the other guy holiub i think and and he gave them the bible says special wisdom so in other words he supernaturally enabled them to be able to 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 fabricate and do exactly what was needed to be done uh in this i mean so this this is but they're what i'm getting at they're out in the middle of the desert they're not in some metropolitan city where they have access to all kinds of resources and everything so this is this is an in you know quite a thing and all the stuff that went into this this tabernacle this would have been something and uh you know estimates today value the you know all the materials everything of this tabernacle value it in today's economy into the millions of dollars of what this thing would have been worth with everything that went into it and i didn't i didn't write these down uh but i mean there were there's like uh, 1,800 plus pounds of gold. I mean, think about that. That's, that's, that's a lot of gold and uh, a lot of silver and, and, and bronze and, and so on. I mean, this was, this was a, a, a major thing that's involved here. And uh, so as, as we read this, just kind of keep all that in the back of your mind. But I want to look at three key passages here uh, in, in the Old Testament before we start talking specifically about this candlestick, all right? So in Exodus 25, everybody should be there, verse 31, let's, uh, let's read verse 31 through the end of the chapter through 40s. So that's what, 10 verses. So let's just start and I'll, I'll, I'll sit back on the reading um, if, if Pastor Brinker wants to start and just kind of go around the room in normal fashion as we normally do. Verse 31, and thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold, a beaten work shall the candlestick be made. His shaft and his branches, his bowls, his knobs, and his flowers shall be of the same. And six branches shall come out of the sides of it. Three branches of the candlestick out of one side. And three branches of the candlestick out of the other side. Three bowls made like a t- almonds with a knot f- uh, and a flower in one branch. And three bowls made like almonds in the other branch. With a knot and the flower, so on the six branches knop. that came out of the candlesticks. <coughs> Four bowls made like an almond, with their knops and the flowers. And there shall be a knot under two branches of the same, and a knot under two branches of the same, and a knot under, under two branches of the same, according to the six branches that proceed out of the candlesticks. Their knots and their branches shall be of the same, and then it shall be one the work of pure And thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof. And they shall light the lamps thereof, that they may give light over against it. And the tongue thereof and the snuff dishes thereof shall be of pure gold. And a town of pure gold shall ye make it. With all these vessels. And look that thou may make them after their pattern which was showed thee in the mount. Again, you notice that phrase right there at the end, the pattern that was showed thee. Alright, so Moses had clear. Instructions from God on what was to be done. Let's jump over to uh, chapter 37 in Exodus, chapter 37, and begin at verse 17. And and let's read through 24. So again, this is a passage in here describing some things of the tabernacle, but these verses specifically the colt the golden candlestick, right? So, 17 through 24, if we can we can I guess, pick up and just keep just keep going around. And he candlestick of and the the candlestick, up gold. He the candlestick. his shaft his is branches, not his flowers, but the same. And six branches going out of the sides thereof, three branches. The other side thereof. Yes. Three bowls made after the fashion of almonds in one branch, a knock and a flower, and three bowls made like almonds in another branch, a knock and a flower. So throughout the six branches, going out of the candlestick. And in the candlestick were four bowls made like almonds, is not and a flowers. And not under the two branches of the same, and not under two branches of the same, and not under two branches of the same, according to the six branches going out of it. Their mops and their branches were of the same. All of it was one beaten work of pure gold. And he made his seven lamps and his snuffers and his snuff dishes of pure gold. Of a pound of pure gold, were healed and all the vessels thereof. All right, one other passage. Go to the book of Numbers. One other passage for now. Numbers chapter 8. And just the first four verses here. So if we can just kind of... Continue reading there. Numbers 8, 1 through 4. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and say unto him, The seven lamps shaken white over against the oh, candlestick. Oh, okay, to that? Aaron did so, and lighted the lamps thereof over against the candlestick, as the Lord commanded Moses. And this work of the candlestick was a Gold under, the shaft thereof, under the flowers thereof, beetroot, according unto the the all right now these are three passages in in the Old Testament in the accounts of the tabernacle and its planning how it was set up and all this that describe the candlestick all right now I uh, I was trying to prepare a handout and I didn't quite succeed on everything in fact I even included a a picture here (laughs) that's pretty good for using an electronic thing but anyway uh, and then (laughs) but I do have something a little better and I didn't uh, get with brother Andy on time to how to try to but i have this i've had it for a long time it's a disc that has hundreds of slides on it that somebody's drawn you know about the the tabernacle and i don't know if anybody can see it but this is just kind of an an overview here uh it's not real big so but um remember the tabernacle was a really a tent quite an elaborate tent but a tent and it was Uh, set up taken down set up taken down as the Israelites journeyed and as they went about through uh, the wilderness and so uh, for a tent it was it was quite a spectacle to see it was very uh, very nice and uh, I mean all all the materials in it were fine and and all of this and again just the tabernacle in itself was quite a uh quite a a thing to see and to behold and for them to be able to pull off. Now if you remember the tabernacle was kind of a a, a fence of curtains, right? And the gate in the middle and none of this is to scale of course, but um I'll try to give you a little bit better uh drawing than what I had. So basically a fence of curtains, all right? And when you come in, of course, there was a big altar here, a brazen altar. Uh, So it's made of bronze, which is an alloy, not a pure metal. And then you had a bronze laver, which was just a big basin for water where washing took place and so on. And then the actual tent itself, okay, inside there consisted of two chambers. The first was called the holy place, all right? And then the second, of course, the holy of holies or the most holy place. Uh, when, when the priest would come into uh, the, the holy place, as he came in, the candlestick would have been on his left. All right on the south side because by the way and that's one thing that bothers me about those slides i have they're backwards as far as the way it's portrayed because uh, they portray it the opposite but the bible specifies that the gate was always pointing east right so that the uh when they came in this way and the uh so the, the candlestick would have been on the south the table of showbread here on the north and then the incense altar, altar of incense directly ahead, right before the veil that separated the Holy of Holies, which the only the only item in the Holy of Holies would have been the Ark of the Covenant, which had the mercy seat on it and so on. And the high priest was the only one allowed to go in there once a year. He couldn't go without blood, according to, you know, I mean, just a lot of things involved in all of this. But, um, and. So that's kind of a basic layout, I, and I, don't, I couldn't find the source uh, where I had seen this once, but somebody had done. You know, in fact, the Bible even specifies when they camped, all right? When the tabernacle was, when the Lord's presence stopped, you know, they were to set up the tabernacle, and they were to camp. They camped, the, the, camp, the people of Israel camped around the tabernacle, but God specified who was to camp where. Every tribe was given a specific location where they were to camp. Now, the priests were directly out here. The Levite, tribe of Levi, was around there. And then uh, I can't remember who all was on each side in that, but Judah was on the east, okay? And if you somebody had taken the numbers, okay, of the, the population that the, uh, that's given in the Bible, in the book of Numbers, from all the p- children of Israel on this, and you know, figured it all up and then somehow did a scale mathematically based on the population. And this person said that as you, if you were to, if you were to somehow get an aerial view of the the camp, the encampment of Israel at the time, yeah, I mean, I had to draw it smaller for sake of that. But with the, uh, the tabernacle in the middle and then obviously this isn't the scale either because all the, the, uh, it would have taken up a lot more room than this compared to the tabernacle, but it said that based on the way they were camped, that would have been the shape of their camp. So if you're viewing it from the east, it would have the shape of a cross. Um, uh, again, I, you know, I can't prove that, but that's what this person said based on the numbers of who all was camping where and where and all of this. It, that's an interesting concept because the tabernacle itself, has been called the gospel of the eye it was a picture it was a picture of the gospel obviously a picture of everything uh, involved in salvation and everything in the tabernacle did have obviously uh, a representation of something the old testament as a whole uh, remember is is uh, i mean Think about this, as New Testament believers, there is a lot of the Old Testament that really, I mean, sometimes you might not like to hear this, or but really doesn't apply to us directly. It's not our mail, so to speak, okay? However, the Bible does tell us that it's there for our learning. That doesn't mean that it has no value to us, all right? We're, we're to learn from it, and there's a lot of history there to learn from. There's a lot of pictures and examples. And the tabernacle itself was quite a picture of many uh doctrines that are elaborated on greatly in the new testament and uh and the gospel itself is pictured uh in the tabernacle now god said specifically we didn't read this verse uh, because of where we started in exodus 25 but when when exodus 25 begins uh god's telling moses to uh that they're gonna build a tabernacle he tells him to take an offering of the the israelites and so on But he says this in verse 8, I have it right here, he says, um, well, actually I didn't have it all out, but he says, and let let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. So his stated purpose there was so that he would dwell among them or he would have a place to reside with them or among them, you know, in their midst, that kind of a thing. And so this special tent was a place where the physical manifestation of God's presence could stay in the midst of his people. And by the way, I, I don't remember the, again, I didn't, I, I wished I would have had more, put, taken more, put more time together in, in all of this, but I think it's in Exodus 34. Moses is kind of, uh, this is after the, uh, the incident there with the golden calf at Mount Sinai and that. And, and Moses interceded for the people and so on, and, and then after that, Moses and God have some interesting exchanges that are recorded, and, and Moses is like, well, if your presence isn't going to be here, I don't even, we, there's no sense in us even going, you know, and I'm not trying to say he was mad at God or something, but I mean, but the point was, Moses was making a big deal that if God's presence, not... Because God had said in one statement to Moses he said, "I'll send an angel before you." And, and Moses is like, "No, if your presence doesn't go with us, there's no sense in us, even you know we might as well just die. And the point is that this this whole thing with the tabernacle and you know God's presence there, and of course, if you would have viewed that and seen, I mean think about this, in the daytime there was a pillar of cloud, right that Somehow, and I don't know exactly how it looked in the sky, but somehow this pillar of cloud, I mean, I kind of picture it as, I might be wrong, but kind of as a tornado, you know, a funnel cloud. I mean, this, this cloud comes down and goes into the tabernacle. And that's what they saw in the daytime. In the night, that was a pillar of fire. I mean, this is some amazing stuff. And somebody else... Some other foreign people who would have ever seen this. I mean, this would have been something that would have got their attention. This would be, uh, you know, something that people today would probably put in some kind of science fiction thing with, you know, there's something funnel coming out of the sky and fire and all of this. But uh, I mean, this this is something. All right. And so in all of this and I'm I'm getting bogged down in the whole big general picture here yet but I mean this was a special place I mean and, and again the entire Old Testament was is said to be given to us New Testament Christians as a teaching tool. So you know even though much of the New Old Testament doesn't necessarily directly apply to us it serves as uh, to teach us by examples and pictures and this tabernacle in the wilderness uh, in Moses's day now think of this in in when they were still in the wilderness before they got into the land of, the land of Canaan, this thing was picked up and, and put down and picked up and put down multiple times as they moved around for years. And then once they got into the land of Canaan, it eventually at least became a permanently set up place in Shiloh. And if you remember in the book of Samuel, uh, you know where, where Samuel's mom is praying and so on, but Eli was the the high priest and so on. Uh, His sons Hophni and Phinehas were there and so on. But that was in Shiloh. And it it seems that for hundreds of years then, the the tabernacle was left standing permanently in Shiloh. The interesting thing is, as I look at that and kind of read it, I don't see any indication that it says that there was ever, you know, God's, the the pillar of fire and cloud that were there. They They were gone after the wilderness wanderings. But it was still the place that God said he would meet with his people. All right. And so, uh, but the tabernacle itself in a general way, again, it, it pictures how God was to be approached by man. It vividly pictured the work of salvation throughout everything involved in the tabernacle. It specifically represented the Lord Jesus Christ and the Christ of salvation throughout. And in another way, it is a limited model of the real dwelling of God in heaven, in what we would call the third heaven. In fact, the book of Hebrews refers to it that way, as the true tabernacle that God pitched and not man. Hebrews 8, 12, uh, 8 2. Um, so the person and work of Christ, though, in every aspect, uh, is pictured in every aspect and every item of the tabernacle. Now, let me say, and, and oftentimes when you read things about the tabernacle, that's the focus and the only focus, all right? But I, I believe there's multi levels of things that are pictured in the tabernacle. I mean, there's, there's a lot there. And uh, the candlestick itself is one of those, uh, one, one example of that. That's kind of why I uh, wanted to talk about this this morning. But. Um, In other words, I I think I could word it this way. I wrote this down somewhere. I'm trying to find it. But the, the person work of Christ is pictured in every aspect and item of the tabernacle. However, there is often much more to these items as well. And such is the case with the golden candlestick, which was one of the three main items in the holy place, all right, or the first of the two inside chambers of the tabernacle. Now, So let's consider specifically this golden candlestick for a few minutes and might have to continue this next week looking at the clock right now. But uh, the candlestick of the tabernacle, just consider some of the basic facts of the descriptions that we read uh, a few moments ago of this. All right. The candlestick was the light source for the tabernacle. It was a it was an extremely fancy and ornate lampstand holding seven lamps for light. Now, oftentimes, I don't know about you, all right, but maybe it's just the way I think. But, you know, when you read in our King James Bible, you read golden candlestick, all right? I don't know what comes to your mind, if you had never seen pictures or whatever, what comes to mind. But sometimes I think our, our, you know, our language limits us, okay? Because when you think of a candlestick, what do you think of? Something that you put a candle in? I mean, you know, uh, it, but I mean, in Moses' day, there were no such thing as wax candles and, and that anyway, all right? But the idea of the word candlestick, all right, basically it, 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 it's a lampstand, all right? In other words, it's a, a structure that can hold lamps, all right? Now, this particular one was one item, but it had seven lamps so it wasn't just a lamp stand that had a lamp sitting on it or when when we say lamp it would have been an oil burning lamp okay because this this particular lamp burned off of olive oil all right but it was a light source for the tabernacles. i mean that's in in the as far as um, uh you know practical use that was the main practical use of the candlestick it was the only source of light inside the tent, the, the the coverings, there are four layers of coverings over the tabernacle itself. There was no natural light that got into the tabernacle. It would have been completely dark without the candlestick. All right, the candlestick was the only source of light, so it was for illumination. All right. There, so the priests could go do their their errands or tasks and so on inside there now it when the tabernacle was set up that the candlestick was to be continually burning obviously it, it needed some maintenance because it didn't have an in you know an infinite supply of fuel and obviously there were some wicks that would have to be trimmed and things of that sort uh, but uh, but it would have been maintained probably one lamp at a time. That way all the others are burning when one's being uh, maintained. and then you know, but, but there was always a light source in there as long as the tabernacle was set up. That was to be the case. And, and I don't know all the, I, I don't remember all the, the things of it, but that's what the Jewish uh, holiday, Hanukkah, as you call it, festival of lights, is to do with when and you know back in what the third fourth century bc when the greeks antiochus epiphanes had desecrated the temple and uh uh, the maccabees you know the maccabean revolt and all that stuff and anyway the jews had had uh won a battle over them and and rid them out anyway they purified the temple and so on they had a limited amount of oil to keep the uh the, the candle burning and then uh you know the Lord kept it burning for another seven days, whatever after their supply of oil was. That's what that holiday is about. That's not a biblical Jewish holiday. That's just one of the extra ones. Um, but um, but it has to do with this candlestick or the golden candlestick that would have been in the second temple at that point. All right. But uh, but this 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 candlestick, this lampstand. All right. And I'll probably use that word a lot. That's that's because that's literally what this was. It was a lampstand, an ornate lampstand that had seven different lamps on it, seven different lights, all right? And so it was set up on the south side of the holy place, opposite of the table of showbread. Uh, as the priest entered, it was on his left. And there are descriptions given of its ornate design. And we read, you know, there's, there's flowers and, and knops, which were basically some kind of knob There were almond-shaped stuff. Now, whether there's argument as to whether those the almond shape refers to the like the almond itself or the flowers of the almond, uh, because there were flowers on it as well, specified. Uh, But point is, this was a very ornately designed and a very intricately fashioned uh, piece of equipment here. And on each shaft, all right, it basically, and I can't draw as you already have seen and determined, but whatever, I'm sure there was, had to been some kind of base to keep it standing, all right, because, you know, obviously uh, it shouldn't be falling over, but, and this is probably a very poor <laughs> drawing of it, but we read in, well, it may be mentioned in more than one, but does anybody remember how much it weighed? It was fashioned out of one talent of gold now again there's argument on exactly how you compare these things but as best as can be figured that's about 125 pounds of gold that's a pretty heavy piece all right one one it was all made of one piece now obviously they had to you know get various things to melt uh to make one piece of gold that big but it was fashioned after one piece. There was one main shaft, which on the top of it would have been one of the seven lamps. And then there were three branches on each side, so six more, so seven lamps, all right, on this. Uh, and I'm not even going to try to draw the pictures on it, but there, again, there were flowers and knobs. And I mean, this was, this was quite a thing, all right, uh, here. Here. But it was fashioned out of one piece of pure, and those things are specified in in every passage that is read about it, all right? One piece of pure gold, and those things are important, all right? And of a talent's weight, and again, about 125 pounds. Now, it was shaped by what? By, it says it was of beaten gold, which means what? It was basically hammered into shape. Now, again, that, that would have taken some talent, and the men that did this were specifically enabled by God to be able to do this stuff, all right? Uh, and and uh, they, you know, they may have had some natural talent, but this was above and beyond natural talent all right, that, that did this, all right? So it was beaten, it was hammered into shape, and the candlestick, again, was to kept, be kept burning as long as it was in the temp. Now... Again, I want to emphasize that this was one item, this was one lampstand, although it had seven lamps. Sometimes this is referred to uh, by Bible students as the, uh, the seven-fold lamp, all right? Because, again, it wasn't seven individual lamps. It was one lampstand with seven lamps on it, all right? So, uh, and numbers are important in the Bible, uh, the number seven speaks usually of completion, uh, perfection, that kind of an idea, all right? But it was one, but it also had seven, all right? Now, so when we think about the, the golden candlestick itself, and I've already mentioned that really everything in the tabernacle pictures Christ. There, there's some kind of teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ in everything involved there, all right? All right? And so when we think about the, the, the candlestick, and this is just probably touching the, the surface of this, okay, uh, obviously it pictured Christ in ways, all right? The tabernacle itself, uh, again, the inside portion had no windows, so what was the purpose of the candlestick was to give light, to provide light. Who is it that's the light of the world? In fact, Jesus, as John, in John chapter 1, John's prologue his introduction of the christ he one of the one of the first statements he makes about him is that he was the light that was come into the world in john chapter 8 jesus referred to himself as the light of the world he uses that statement again in john chapter 9 right so it's in fact it's one of the seven i am statements in john's gospel but it's the light, all right, And Jesus is the light of the world. So obviously there's a picture here uh, of, of Jesus in the candlestick that he's the one who is the light, all right? The light. Um, but uh, I believe, again, it goes beyond that. and there's probably other things, I mean, again, you can you can get a, a lot of details into this, but Uh, the beating of it. All right. And it's fashioning. Obviously, there's a picture of Christ in that. I mean, he was, he was beaten. He was bruised. He was, uh, you know, uh, in fact, it's interesting how in the book of Hebrews and that little reference in Philippians chapter two as well, is that he, he learned obedience. All right. But through what he suffered, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's kind of a hard concept to even think about when you're talking about God the Son, okay? But obviously, as a man, and then the whole point of as coming and fulfilling uh, the, the plan of God, the will of God, he, by experience, learned some things, all right? Because he had to experience them. I, it, it just, there's, 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 there's a lot there. Obviously, it pictures Christ. But I believe it goes beyond that, and, and we might only just be able to get into this. But um, I believe that the the and this was the first thing that came to my mind uh, when the when the whole concept of the the candlestick came about, uh, because I, I've I've looked into this part before. But I believe the holy or the the golden candlestick pictures the Holy Spirit as well. All right, uh, I mean, and and this is a uh, something that is is uh, I think generally. Uh, Agreed to by by conservative Bible students, so to speak. Go ahead and turn to the Book of Isaiah, if you would, chapter 11 specifically. And again, we're just kind of going to have to touch on this for time's sake here, right now. But the candlestick of this tabernacle was made of pure gold. In fact, as you read all the things about the, the instruments, what were in the outside portion of the tabernacle the two main uh, pieces of furniture elements that were outside were made of what material bronze which would have been an alloy of i guess brass copper uh, mix but a mixture of metals all right and they picture specific things okay but everything inside the tent in fact Well, everything inside the tent was made of gold and specified pure gold, which in the picture of the tabernacle and in other ways in the Bible pictures deity, all right? Pictures God, deity, uh, and his pureness and, you know, uh, gold looked at as as probably the most precious metal and so on, the most costly, the most valuable metal uh, there, but All the inside items of the tent were made of gold. The outside was, again, bronze or an alloy. Uh, The the golden candlestick was, again, literally, very literally, a seven-fold lampstand. It was one piece, one one lampstand, but it had seven lamps on it. The Holy Spirit is described in the Scripture in several places. We might only get to look at one of those right now, but in the Bible, as a sevenfold spirit. Uh, By the way, also the Holy Spirit is the one who, and we'll we'll look at some of those passages here momentarily, but the Holy Spirit is the one who illuminates people to the truth, according to the Bible. I mean, uh, no one will come to the truth, no one's going to understand the truth, come to the truth, embrace the truth, love the truth, etc., without the Holy Spirit working in his or her heart. All right. It takes a work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, when you talk about salvation, all right, I mean, all uh, all of the Trinity is involved in a person's salvation. All right. Different roles in in first Peter. All right. Specified there in chapter one. There's, you know, uh, I'm trying to think, what, but it talks about, you know, uh, being elect by the foreknowledge of God, the father, through the sanctification of the Holy Spirit, so through the Holy Spirit setting apart, but unto the obedience of the the sprinkling of the blood. I can't remember exactly how it's worded there in chapter 1. All three, okay, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, are involved in salvation, in the plan of salvation, the work of salvation, and in the actualization, if I can say it that way, of salvation in any one person's heart and life. all All are involved, all right? And and all are pictured in, in the tabernacle as of, of that as well. But uh, the Holy Spirit, again, specifically, His role is to illuminate to the truth and to bring conviction of the truth, all right? Which, again, pictures light in a way, all right? So, uh, but let me just give you these verses. We're not going to turn to them right now. But, again, in, in the, the point that the Holy Spirit is the one who illuminates people to the truth. He always points to Christ, all right? Uh, The Holy Spirit never emphasizes himself. He always emphasizes Christ. He always points to Christ, all right? Uh, John 14, 26, John 16, 5 through 16, especially verse 13 there. uh, The candlestick in the tabernacle, again, illuminated the holy place so the priest could minister before God. It provided light so the priest could Fellowship at the table of showbread, across from it, uh, so that they could intercede at the altar of incense in in the holy place as well. It provided light for all of that, all right? And so, uh, again, you can see in that sense, I believe you, it pictures the working of the Holy Spirit. Now, in, in um, Isaiah chapter 11, and and we're not even going to have time to really do this passage much justice. But in chapter 11, Isaiah, this is a a messianic prophecy. It's a prophecy of the Messiah, of the Lord Jesus here. And most of the chapter deals with the millennium. It deals with him in the millennium and so on. But there's the first uh, part here, the first two verses are a part that are often looked at and cited as uh, Jesus coming from the house of David, right? From uh, David's family. And uh, which is a qualification that the Messiah had to meet according to the Old Testament, right? But there's some interesting things here said about him in that light, all right? So look at these with me if you would. Uh, Isaiah 11, the first two verses for right now, and there shall come forth a rod or the rod, the idea of a branch or a stem, a shoot out of the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Have you ever you ever seen like when a tree's cut down, we have one in our front yard, this exact same thing is happening right now. Um uh, trees cut down and sometimes there's still, you know, there's life there and that sometimes it might be completely dead cuz the tree's completely dead whatever, but um but there's still life there and there's things that shoot out of that, right? Uh somebody I know somebody calls them suckers, you know, that's they just they grow up and um, but anyway, that's kind of the picture here in this, uh, in this prophetic view of the Messiah, saying that there's going to come a, a, a rod or a, a stem, a branch that's going to shoot out of the stump of Jesse. Now, who was Jesse? David's father. And the wording of this is very important because, again, the way that this pictures and and how it puts the Messiah as being related to the house of, of David here. all right? Uh, this, this, this shoot is going to come out of the stump of Jesse. It doesn't say David here, and the reasoning I think is important. all right? Uh, a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and, the, and the, of the fear of the Lord and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and and so on. Okay, and it goes on describing him. This passage, again, is about the Messiah. It's about him. In fact, uh, really the specific things that this passage is emphasizing about the Messiah is, number one, that Messiah would be born into the house of David, and other places talk about that as well, okay? But this passage is emphasizing, because it's talking about the stump of Jesse, all right the picture here is the messiah would be born into a house of lowliness now think about this the the house of david i mean david was who he was the king and for hundreds of years david's family ruled over judah at least uh, you know at first over all israel but then when the the split came over over judah but there came a time when that stopped right I mean, they were taken into captivity and so on. And do you realize that since that time, there's never been a king in Israel or Judah that's carried on that, right? In fact, the house of David actually turned into a house of poverty in reality. And that's what this is emphasizing here about the Messiah, that the Messiah is gonna shoot from the stump of Jesse, but because he's, you know, he's picturing jesse as this stump a tree that's been cut off right it's talking about he's going to be born come in in he's going to come in a time when the house of jesse has been taken back to its poverty state before david became influential and king and so on is the idea all right so uh, david you know his house was going to once again return to a condition of poverty as it was in jesse's time before david became king and that's i think why it's emphasizing jesse here and not necessarily david all right but then also in this passage it specifies and this is the purpose of us coming to this passage now is that the messiah who's going to come from he's going to shoot from this stump of jesse but he would have the sevenfold fullness of the holy spirit and he would act accordingly okay and by the way, somebody turn if you would. Somebody, can somebody read John chapter three, verse thirty-four? John three. All right, John, you can get John three thirty-four. And we're gonna have to stop. But I want you to get this. Just get this idea right here before we stop. John 3, 34. It says, for he who God hath sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure of now, I believe these are the words of John the Baptist in this context. He's talking about Jesus, all right? He's bearing witness to Jesus. But he says here that he's going to have what? The Holy Spirit without measure is how that's worded there. I don't have the verse printed out right here in front of me. In other words, he's going to have the Holy Spirit in its, his fullness, limitless capacity, etc., okay, which is different than anybody else, all right, but uh, again, this messianic prophecy from Isaiah chapter 11 specifies that the Messiah is going to have the fullness of God's spirit as well. In fact, it's specified in a seven-fold description of the Holy Spirit, which you can think of it in the picture of the candlestick, all right, it's the spirit of the Lord but then there's other there's six other descriptions given here. In fact, I, I won't take time to read these. But think of every one of these descriptions on one of these branches. All right, all right. The 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 spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Those are descriptions again. So it's a sevenfold description. Do this real quick, and then we'll get back to this passage i'll just kind of give this here i we we'll got get stopped but anyway Re- book of revelation chapter one revelation chapter one verse four this is kind of in the introducing words of the book of revelation john is is uh, opening up the book here right in verse four He says, John, unto the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come. A statement of eternality there, right? And anyway, let me just finish reading and then I'm going to stop, I promise, all right? Uh, Which was which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from... Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, etc., etc., all right? Now, let me just say that that's a statement of the Trinity there, all right? And I'm just going to leave it at that for now, and I guess maybe we can pick back up on this uh, next time. But this ties in with Isaiah chapter 11. Maybe that whet your appetite a little bit to kind of look at some of those verses. There's several other passages in the book of Revelation that refer right back to this exact same thing. Or willing, we'll look at those. But uh, I believe it's talking about the representation of the golden candlestick in heaven. We'll, we'll talk more about that in just another time. Anyway, thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for your great goodness to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.